Hello and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Federalist Files. On today's show, 542% increase of sex offenders arrested at the border. China discussed using bioweapons to target specific racial groups, report shows. More tumult in the Middle East. Poll shows majority of Americans want to end COVID unemployment relief. Inflation continues to grow because of this. And finally, Facebook wins an antitrust case versus the FTC. phony are the democrats that hello folks thank you for tuning in that is a uh, democrat representative over in el paso that's when kamala harris went over with her big group it's just so it's just so phony it's so inauthentic uh her greeting everybody for coming down as she calls it and she characterizes it as Ellis Island, the new Ellis Island, we're making people citizens here. We're processing them. There is no, uh, you know, status claims. They're just automatically becoming citizens, but they're really not even becoming legal citizens. They're illegal aliens entering the country, unvetted, being told, "Hey, you got to go get yourself a court date. You have to figure out the court date. We're not going to hand." a uh, slip to you stating a specific court date with any type of claim on it you have to go schedule it yourself and what happens they're not doing so they're they're not scheduling these court dates uh, or these hearings for their cases to see if they can become a legal citizen we have this system set up where we're flying them out to different places they're pretty much just staying with family members and they're unfettered immigration illegally immigrating in here not paying any taxes uh so i have a four i have this this one uh, epic times piece 542 percent increase in convicted sex offenders arrested at the border because of this obviously and just to mention if you folks that remember last show i said kamala harris went down to the border she did not really actually go down to where all the action is the action for the most part is in del rio that is about 400 miles away from El Paso from where she actually went. So she went somewhere where she knew there was a little action. She went to the Border Patrol facility to talk to uh, some of the leaders there. She didn't actually go to the border. She went to the facility in which uh, Border Patrol runs out of. It's just for all, all this is just a huge, it's just a big show. And if you are listening to other news sources, you're really not going to hear this information, especially if they're liberal news sources. You're not going to hear what's actually really going on on the border. I've been reading uh, these reports, uh, people saying you have the Chinese going down to the border uh, on the Mexico side, and they are training these these cartel members and special training specialized uh, special operations like training and now we're fighting you know these cartel members on the border that actually know how to aim they know how to shoot like it's it's no joke it's an extremely deadly scenario down there uh americans 
really don't know about it because we're not being informed of what the real facts are right now. I think a lot of this is being held under wraps. They're not allowing the uh, media to really access the facilities or talk to any of the, the employees, the Border Patrol members. So we have a serious, we really do truly, and we've had a, a crisis on the border at this point, and this only proves it even more. You have 542% increase in uh, convicted sex offenders. This piece is written by Charlotte Cuthbertson. Uh, in Del Rio, Texas, Border Patrol agents have arrested 353 illegal aliens with sex-related criminal convictions so far this fiscal year. A large number of the detainees had prior convictions for crimes involving a minor. Uh, in the same period, in fiscal 2020, agents apprehended 55 criminal sex offenders and 58 total in all of fiscal 2019. So we're saying so thus far this year... This fiscal year, which I believe with the federal government, the fiscal year ends, I think, in September. But still, we're looking at a uh, 542% increase, and that's just so far this year. I mean, it's it's the numbers here, folks, are unbelievable uh, what's going on. So so we're no, now we know that we have tons of people illegally uh, entering our border, really just pouring in from our southern border. And it seems like the Biden administration is more interested in making it Ellis Island, just making it a whatever, where you're just automatically legalized. Because what's going to happen is they're gonna, they want so many people to pour in that they can pull a, legal, a legalization card through some sort of a DACA-like program and just automatically legalize everybody. Because at this point, it's been it, they want it to be so full-blown and such a terrible... Uh, scenario and so far exacerbated that there is no going back you might as well just legalize these people and then that creates tons of I mean millions of Democrat voters and that's that's really the point of this entire thing so the number of criminals illegally crossing the southwest border has spiked in tandem with the border crossing surge this year Convicted criminals are the most likely population of illegal aliens trying to avoid capture by Border Patrol. Border Patrol has detected more than 250,000 illegal aliens who have evaded capture so far this year, according to the newly appointed Acting Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz on June 24th. It's impossible to estimate how many have evaded Border Patrol without detection. So we already know that these people, for the most part, people that are evading Border Patrol so hard like this are are those who are already convicted criminals. And we've had 250,000 of people that are like that, of trying of attempting to evade uh, Border Patrol. And that's because... If you evade Border Patrol, I mean, in a normal system, you can go there, you claim asylum, they actually let you into the country. Before, if you claimed asylum, Trump would make them wait in Mexico. Now they're allowing them in. So you can actually just go anywhere, claim asylum at this point, get put into the country. They'll give you, like, your court date, or, or they'll tell you to go schedule your court date with the nearest uh, Social Security office or something like that. With the nearest court all Oh, I'm sorry, the, the nearest immigration office. And if, if you're able, if you don't do that, then you just don't do that. And nothing really happens to you. There's no repercussions because uh, everything this this entire system is completely overhauled and backed up right now. We we obviously do not have the people working enough people working to to handle this type of volume. Okay, and there's people that don't even go and claim asylum. What they do is is they just evade border patrol because they know that they're criminals. Um, for the most part, so they, they look at Border Patrol and they try to avoid them. So so 
we have an estimated, and this is only people that they've seen evade them. We have an estimated a quarter of a million people that may be like extreme, like they may be criminals, uh, convicted criminals in in Mexico. So Jen, and and I mean this is this is this whole like the fun the police narrative. Now we're seeing in these big cities as well. We're seeing. Uh, New York, I think there was recently like a shooting just straight up on the street. No one cares. It's just uh, lawlessness in our society. And, and the uh, government has continued to uh, be derelict in their duty to protect the life and property of citizens, the citizenry that pays into uh, their paychecks, really. And that is the one duty of... I mean, the government has a couple of duties. It's it's to... to defend the liberty of the people the freedom of the people as well as the lives of the people and the property uh, life liberty and property really and they're just not doing that they're derelict in their duty especially in the case of of this whole defund the police narrative it just is not working it's shown all these big cities i've showed the statistics before every single big city seeing about 70 percent increase at least in um in murders and violent crime and when Jen Psaki's actually asked about this, the defunding the police narrative, she turns it around on Peter Ducey from, from Fox News and says it's the Republicans that wanted to defund the police the entire time. Uh, play clip six. Okay. Uh, something one of the advisors said this weekend, Cedric Richmond, he said Republicans defunded the police by not supporting the American Rescue Plan. But uh, how is it that that is an argument uh, to be made when the president never mentioned needing money for police to stop a crime wave when he was selling the American Rescue Plan. Well, the president did mention that the American Rescue Plan, the state and local funding, something that was supported by the president, a lot of Democrats who supported and voted for the bill, could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. That funding has been used to keep cops on the beat. But at the time that was sold as uh, these local police departments might have a pandemic related budget shortfall, not we need to keep cops on the beat because there's a crime wave. Uh, I think that any local uh, department would argue that keeping cops on the beat to keep communities safe when they had to, because of budget shortfalls, fire police is, is something that helped them address yeah. crime in their local communities. In local communities, the White House's argument was the American Rescue Plan is going to be $1,400 checks. It's going to be vaccines, vaccinators. Uh, we're, it's going to put us on the path to beating the virus, not... It did those things as well. It was a pretty good bill and piece of legislation. Okay, I... Go so she gets grilled by Peter Ducey in that one. Yes, the reason that, and this is really just such a great, the, the way in which Democrats are very good at framing things. And, and then at the very end when she says it was a very good piece of legislation, like, no, it wasn't. We're facing the amount of spending that we've, we've uh, endured this past year is going to damage us now for the next 20 years of existence in America we're going to have our own kids are going to have to deal with this extreme amount of debt that we're building up. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is uh, we had the only reason that any of these municipalities, any of these police, uh, I guess you would call them these police departments. The only reason that they didn't have funding is because they were defunded. They were defunded by Democrat lawmakers were the ones voting for the budget saying, well, we're going to we're going to cut one hundred million dollars, let's say, out of the budget. Now we don't have cops on the beat. And now, you know, the American Rescue Plan, quote unquote, that Biden coined it. 
is supposed to pay these local law enforcement entities and pay these really it would just pay local governments as well as state governments and then that money would have fungibly been turned over to the uh, law enforcement and the police departments and that's just not that's not how it would work because they were on this big defund the police push you can't cut the funding of the police and then when you get funding from the federal government, you're going to turn around and throw it into the police department. That wasn't your main objective to begin with. You wouldn't give the money to the police department because that's initially who you took the money away from. So if you got more money given to you, then why would you put it back into the police department? Because it's all about optics. It's all about being, you know, woke and being to fund the police as your as your narrative that's been propagated by by your party. Um that's really what the problem and and we shouldn't have the federal government funding local law enforcement i think it's kind it's kind of a slippery slope when you have that done and it's just once again it's just her dodging the question and blaming uh the republicans for it i think it was a terrible piece of legislation i think at this point any spending in a general sense unless it's for our national security i really do think it's just a waste of our money i really i truthfully think that uh, almost all spending by the government is a waste of our money, with the exception of maybe the national defense. And I'm not talking about the interventionalist uh, national defense. I'm talking about building up our military here to defend our country, not fight countries, not fight uh, wars abroad for no reason. So, uh, additionally, I have this. I just saw this today. This is a huge story. This has actually just occurred a couple hours ago. The FBI has been has been spying, or rather. The NSA has been spying on Tucker Carlson and his show. Uh, he just released this, and he has a whistleblower from the NSA that told him about it. And he said, okay, so how is it that you're going to prove it? And he says the NSA member knew exactly what his email said and what they were communicating back and forth on what tonight's show was going to be about. So just check this out. This is fascinating. Uh, play clip two. But it's not just political protesters the government is spying on. Yesterday, we heard from a whistleblower within the U.S. government who reached out to warn us that the NSA, the National Security Agency, is monitoring our electronic communications and is planning to leak them in an attempt to take this show off the air. Now, that's a shocking claim, and ordinarily we'd be skeptical of it. It's illegal for the NSA to spy on American citizens. It's a crime. It's not a third world country. Things like that should not happen in America. But unfortunately, they do happen, and in this case, they did happen. The whistleblower, who is in a position to know, repeated back to us information about a story that we are working on that could have only come directly from my texts and emails. There's no other possible source for that information, period. The NSA captured that information without our knowledge and did it for political reasons. The Biden administration is spying on us. We have confirmed that. This morning we filed a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, asking for all information that the NSA and other agencies have gathered about this show. We did it mostly as a formality. We've also contacted the press office at both NSA and the FBI. We don't expect to hear much back. That's the way that usually goes. Only Congress can force transparency on the intelligence agencies, and they should do that immediately. Spying on opposition journalists is incompatible with democracy. If they are doing it to us, and again, they are definitely doing it to us, they are almost certainly doing it to others. This is scary, and we need to stop it right away. So this is the, uh, the NSA does not, this is what the problem is with the Patriot Act. It gives the NSA certain rights. Uh, the NSA in this case has no right at all to be 
or no power, uh, if you will, to be spying on Tucker Carlson, checking his emails, checking his text messages, the way that they are. The NSA is doing this on the regular to regular citizens. Uh, him, he's more prominent, so they probably had a specific task force laid out just to spy on him specifically. But the rest of us, they're, they're just, NSA is just a giant data collection agency. And I'm sure, and this is me speculating, this is conjecture, I'm sure that there are uh, some of these big tech organizations that are working in conjunction with the NSA. And this is, this is Joe Biden's, this is Joe Biden's NSA. And it's, it's run by these deep state actors. And this is very similar to what we saw during the Obama administration, the Fast and Furious case, uh, Obama was going after with it with the IRS was going after the Tea Party movement was going after the Tea Party with the IRS. So we're going to see a weaponization of federal, you know, resources, federal law enforcement resources like the intelligence community, the NSA to attempt to, to go after political opponents and people that object to the current regime. And in a free country, we have a free press. We're going to see how this ends up playing out with Tucker Carlson. Really, what they should do is they should sue the government. I don't really know exactly what, what steps can be taken. And it seems like there's never accountability. And this is the problem when you have a big bureaucracy like this. You're never going to really see accountability from the people that are involved in this and the ones that are responsible because there's such a big hierarchy of, uh, of people that are in power to the point where the blame is spread to everybody and then no one gets fired because once again it's federal law enforcement it's a, a federal entity in the government which is not incentive based it's not a merit-based program it's not about making money uh, it's not about creating capital or wealth all they do is they lose your wealth they, the government is a net loser uh, they do not bring in any income. They do not add any value to an economy. So therefore, there is no incentive for them to continue. Uh, they don't. There's no incentive base or structure for them to make money to better the society around them. Their job is to catch bad guys, from what they they call it. And if they continue to keep themselves, you know, busy with deals like these with Tucker Carlson, then it shows that they need actually more resources. And then that's how they continue to expand the spying apparatus that we call the NSA or the intelligence community. I mean, this is like an insane story that this is even going on. And we're not going to hear about this from anybody, but we're going to hear about it from Fox News, probably a couple of right-wing sources. The, the New York Times, I would be surprised if they ever um, reported on this. And now at this point, who even knows if we're going to see this, if we're going to see when we put it up on Facebook or put it up on Twitter, if we see it covered or if we, um, if we have it shut down from the big tech industry and they cut you off, they take down the post, they fact check it, um... Or they put one of those little disclaimers on it saying, oh, this isn't truthful information. Look for better resources. And then they tell you what is considered by them arbitrarily as verifiable uh, resources. I mean, it's just absurd what's going on right now. Some of, the, some of these things, the spying, and then you also have kind of big tech colluding with the, with the government as an enforcement wing of really just like a truth police, if you will. That's the best way that I can try to characterize it. And the government's telling them, hey, you know, check on this, check on that. And they're saying, okay, so this is the truthful information. This isn't. So I'm very interested to see what ends up happening. Maybe I'll post about it later tonight. I'll put out a, um, 
a link provided and see if, if I get fact-checked on it or not. So next what I have, China leveraging COVID vaccines. So I have uh, two different China stories. I have some insane, I have this one story about them making bioweapons to target specific uh, nationalities. But first I wanted to get to this one. China is leveraging their COVID vaccines. Uh, it's an AP news piece. It's written by Jamie Keaton. China pressured Ukraine into withdrawing its support for a call for more scrutiny of human rights in China's western region of Xinjiang by threatening to withhold Chinese-made COVID-19 vaccines destined for Ukraine unless it did so. Uh, diplomats told the Associated Press on Friday, Ukraine briefly joined a statement by over 40 countries presented by Canada at the Human Rights Council in Geneva on Tuesday, urging China to allow immediate access for independent observers to Xinjiang. Some human rights groups have alleged Chinese mistreatment of Muslim Uyghurs and others in the region. Now on Thursday, so so we had this, this big UN kind of council kind of deal. We have 40 different countries making a joint statement saying that they are mistreating, inhumanely treating these Muslim Uyghurs, which we've all seen. We've seen videos. They're shaving these people's heads. Uh, they're making them work in, in manufacturing, pretty much like a slavery-like system, uh, you know, committing another genocide in their country because they're against anybody that is religious because at the end of the day for China what they want everyone to think the very first priority in every single citizen's mind and when I say citizen I mean subject of the Chinese regime they want them to think number one priority is the state it's not your religion it's not your family those are all things that can um that can relinquish your trust in the state and that's the reason why they don't want any religious people they they burn books there they burn the bible they burn the quran uh this is they, they universally treat religious people badly in that country period full stop because number one in your your mind and your heart should be the state it should be your your grand emperor or the president over there as they call him the president he's really just a he's like a king if you will so on on thursday Ukraine pulled its name off the list of supporting states after Chinese authorities warned uh, Kyiv that they would, or Kiv, that they would block a planned shipment of at least 500,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccines to Ukraine unless it did so, said diplomats from two Western countries. The diplomats spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the, the matter publicly. Yeah, so what we saw is we saw China say, hey, listen, you guys continue to talk about our inhumane treatment of the Muslim Uyghurs in our country. You're not going to get any of the doses of the vaccination that we uh, manufactured recently. So Ukraine actually had to pull their statement or, or pull their name off of the, the list of supporting states. So we've seen this now. We see Hollywood actors, John Cena, uh, The Rock, uh, who are the other ones? People, oh, uh, LeBron James, people that go ahead that are in entertainment in the United States, they back down, they genuflect upon the Chinese president and the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party. And now we're seeing countries doing the same thing. The amount of influence that China holds, uh, it is very troubling, in fact, the type of government that they have, because in a sense, they do have a government where they leverage their economic power. But their economic power is all run through the subjugation of their people 
and all the power being the economic power and the, and the uh, capital being centralized in their federal government, if you will, uh, or their, I don't even want to call it a federal government because it's not federal, they centralized government. Uh, and that's really what the problem is, is we've introduced them to like a, not a capitalist system, but a system where they are able to obtain a lot of capital, a lot of money, and they use that to leverage it. Because you also have to remember, there's a billion people living in China. Uh, the way in which they subjugate their people, they're able to manufacture at insane rates because everyone's working insane hours. It's not a normal eight-hour work week in uh, in manufacturing. They're doing these insane hours, so they're able to make more. They have more people living there. And then they turn around and they export their goods to other countries. And then they're making... They're really taking... Uh, they're really transferring wealth from other countries to their countries because they're such a net exporter of goods. Even even if, you know, Chinese products are made of crap, in my opinion. They're not made well. They're very faulty most of the time. Uh, you could tell if something's from China when you go on Amazon and you read the description and you start reading into it. You realize that this was, they used a translator to write the description of the item. And even some of the reviews as well. So you know, for the most part, if it's a Chinese item. But this is how they made their money, and this is how now they're using their capital, their wealth, to leverage it against other countries. And then you also have to remember, Ukraine is is constantly, uh, you know, they are threatened by Russia a lot of the time. They're not a huge country, so they backed off here to get their 500,000 doses. So the other report that I have is a report that shows China discussed making bioweapons to target uh, racial groups. This is a Bongino.com piece, Matt Palumbo, breaking the story. Uh, it's stating, and this is from the investigator David Asher, who formerly led the State Department's investigation into the pandemic's origins right before the uh, Biden administration decided to shut it down. So this is what he had to say. Uh, a new report from an investigative reporter, and this is him specifically, this is David Asher, the investigative reporter that they're referring to who has been at the forefront of reporting on the origins of the coronavirus pandemic and the Wuhan Institute of Virology alleges that China discussed the threat that man-made viruses pose to mankind and how they might be weaponized to target certain groups of people. Okay. Now, it wasn't clear from their declaration whether this was for potential offensive use of synthetic biology and other techniques, but it certainly appears to lay out what they felt were going to be the drivers of a more potent offense in the future decade related to biotechnology, he said. This is probably the most disturbing thing to note that there could be a type of population targeting or ethnic targeting using biology, according to the Chinese. That doesn't mean they did, they did it in the case of COVID-19 or anything else, but it definitely implied that they were fully aware that this is feasible and possible. So what he's referring to when he's talking about this, specifically this biotechnology that could be used to um, to target specific racial groups, he's talking about China. China's statements in 2011. Uh, it was a submission to the UN's 7th Review Conference of the State Parties to the Convention on the Prohibition of the Department, Production, and Stockpiling of Biological and Toxin Weapons. Which is amazing. So they they came out to the UN Council and they said, uh, you know, there's there's issues. People could be stockpiling these biological toxin weapons. Uh, 
and and these are statements that they go ahead and they make, and then that turns out that this is like what they're they're personal personally planning in China. Their submission warned that new kinds of biotechnology would be used for hostile purposes and posted a growing threat to human society. Uh, they added that new techniques were making it harder for them to maintain full and strict compliance with the Biological Weapons Convention. So there must be some sort of convention that there was rules, specific rules that they, were try- they had to um, abide by, and they just said it's getting harder and harder. So this is actually from their statement, and this is insane. Uh, it states, and I quote, Thorough study of systems, biology, and the body can systematically analyze differences in genes and susceptibility to disease in the population and lay the theoretical foundations for an across-the-board improvement in levels of human health. But it can also, and this is the important part, but it can also create the potential for biological weapons based on genetic differences between races. Once hostile elements grasp that different ethnic groups uh, harbor intrinsically different genetic sus- susceptibilities to particular pathogens. They can put that knowledge into practice and create genetic weapons targeted at a racial group with a particular susceptibility. Uh, end quote. So they're sitting there going, uh, I don't know if we're going to fully be, in, be able to be in compliance any longer in this convention. And then they go on to say, hey, we, we, <laughs> we figured out that you can modify things to uh, take advantage of genetic susceptibilities in specific racial groups, uh, in particular specific genetic code that is only uh, that is only regular to a specific group of people. So, so we had the Chinese are sitting there. I mean, this is in 2011. They're sitting there practicing how to uh, subjugate more people, how to kill more people based on racial or ethnic group, and that's probably because they they do with the same situation with the Muslim Uyghurs. They're, they probably are trying to figure out a way to eradicate them without actually having to physically kill all of them and making it look way worse than it actually is. Uh, they could just pass some sort of some sort of disease or pathogen along and just wipe out the entire population and have the rest of their their regular Chinese population unaffected. And that's the reason for doing that. So I mean, it's it, it's just a ridiculous story and. Um, I don't know if you're going to hear that hear that story anywhere else, to be honest with you folks. So the U.S. forces uh, fired at in Syria. This is a Daily Caller piece. It's written by Michael Ginsberg. So once again, it's heating up in the Middle East. We just recently had an assault drone strike in Afghanistan uh, against the Taliban. Now what we're getting in Syria is our forces are getting attacked uh, by what they say is ISIS. So at approximately 7.44 p.m. local time, U.S. forces in Syria were attacked by multiple rockets, Air Force Colonel Wayne Moroto tweeted. So U.S. troops are stationed in Syria as part of Operation Inherent Resolve, which is a multi-country coalition that opposes the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, also known as ISIS. Uh, now, I don't really understand, once, once again, yeah, we have people in Afghanistan. We're saying we're pulling them out. So, what about the people that are in, uh, are in Syria that just got attacked? Are we pulling them out anytime soon? Like, what is it? What is it that? And I'm sure all these terrorist organizations, all these groups, they, I'm sure they all talk to each other because they're all funded by Iran. So they probably use Iran as a point of communication with each other. Well, my point is, is what are we still doing in these countries? Uh, moreover than anything else. 
So the United States conducted airstrikes in Syria and Iraq on Sunday. Uh, those strikes targeted what they called operational and weapons storage facilities used by Iran-backed militias, uh, the Department of, of Defense announced. So we have the government saying, hey, listen, these militias are backed, these ISIS militias, they're backed by Iran. So the militias promised retaliation for the strike, although no one has claimed responsibility for the original attacks. Uh, Ahmed al-Maksusi, which is a commander of one of the militias, uh, stated, and, and I'm quoting, we are fully prepared to respond and take revenge, end quote. So yeah, we're seeing, once again, we're seeing things heat up. I'm not exactly sure if they're going to try to pull us in there even further. We could see what happened in the Obama administration as he continues to say, hey, we're pulling people out, we're pulling people out. He's actually adding to the troop count in Afghanistan. That's what happened during the Obama administration from, because I actually remember I was in college and we were bringing in articles talking about, hey, look, it looks like he's going to pull the troops out finally. He kind of ran on pulling the troops out and then look what happened. He never pulled the troops out and he actually added to the amount of troops that were in Afghanistan. Uh, and I remember reading about it and we kept reading about it. We kept following the story uh, up until I graduated. And at that point, there's still people in Afghanistan and that he was adding to the count of people in Afghanistan. So what we could be seeing from this administration, considering Obama's, you know, definitely has a say. He has some sort of influence in the administration. Uh, as well as Susan Rice, who's definitely running their foreign policy, even though she's the domestic policy person. We can see now over these next couple of months, especially 9-11, if we do pull back our influence in the region, what we could see them do is they can switch around the story, make it like we're pulling out of Afghanistan, but we're going to stay nearby in a, in a nearby state and add troops over there just to kind of keep their promise to save themselves, save face from the media. Or we can just see an addition or, or some sort of a major attack on our troops that will cause us to go back in there and send more people over there for god knows what uh at this point really so next what i got i got some economic stuff some very interesting stuff i got this new york times uh, survey about government benefits it's written by hot air uh ed morrissey is the writer just pointing out some of the new york times their inconsistencies in the way in which they word it but it's kind of important the way that this poll was taken uh, Republicans, their arguments seem to be resonating with the public. That's what the New York Times says. They're annoyed with this. Uh, they're annoyed that people don't like everyone being on unemployment and everyone being unemployed, collecting a government paycheck while you continue to work. The government continues to print money and in turn defunding your bank account. What we're really getting hit with right now, and a lot of people do not understand this, and you have to all tell your friends this, folks. I, I really uh, I ask you to. I you know, I beg you to, when you, when people say, oh, well, at least the taxes haven't gone up, the taxes have gone up. They just printed more money. They printed more money instead of actually taxing you and taking the money. They just made more of the money, thus devaluing your currency. So whatever you're, you know, you have dollars in the bank, it is automatically devalued every time they turn that printer on. So instead of raising the taxes, they're doing this closeted taxation because it doesn't look as bad and they additionally uh, it doesn't look as bad for the people and then people don't see the actual the tangible the number in front of their face saying oh you know taxes increased an extra four percent uh, federal income taxes increased an extra four percent this year they don't they don't think that in their heads you just know oh well, I didn't have to pay any extra taxes this year and then you start to realize as you go to buy more produce more goods, 
uh, prepared foods, you're paying an extra 5%, 6%. That's really where you're getting hit in the consumer price index uh, with your taxation. That's You're getting hit there rather than getting it taken from your income because they legitimately just do not have the money to fund any of these things that they're continuing to pass through. They just keep printing the money. So this is a closeted taxation. Every time that they decide to print, you're getting taxed. Just remember that. And they don't need the kind they don't really need the same type of agreement. The parameters aren't as high to get them to raise to get them to print money than it is to actually raise taxes. To raise taxes is a lot more difficult to do. For them to print money, it's much easier. And that's kind of I think this is actually going to be the future from now on until our, our government and our country completely collapses. I think the government will just continue to print money because it's much easier to get get away with that than going for a uh, tax hike because that's that's something that was promised by the Biden administration that he would not hike the taxes for middle income or lower income families. So once, to start this article, just over half of Americans, 52%, want the extra benefits to end immediately. According to a survey of 2,600 adults conducted this month for the New York Times by the online research firm Momentive, uh, which was previously known as the SurveyMonkey, Another 30% want the benefits to end in September as planned. Only 16% want the additional benefits to continue indefinitely. That 16% is the people that are sitting at home not working. Uh, views on the benefits are divided along partisan lines. Of Republicans, 80% want the extra benefits to end right away compared with 27% of Democrats. But even among Democrats, most respondents don't want the benefits to last past September. So you have actually 27% of Democrats that want the benefits to end right now, which I'm very surprised, and 80% of Republicans, it actually should be a way higher number than that. Uh, personal income, and this is really where the stats come into play here as they continue to print out money. Okay, The personal income has decreased $414.3 billion in May alone. So I guess they take all the income, personal income coming in to the government or coming into each individual worker's hands, uh, it's, it's dropped 2% in May alone. Now, the estimates released today by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, uh, disposable personal income, also known as the DPI, has, inc- has decreased $436.3 billion, uh, which is a 2.3%. So you're having less disposable income. And you say, why is it that there's less disposable income it's because partially, obviously, it's it's part of the income decrease. But the other reason is is inflation. You're paying more money for goods, and then you have actually less disposable money. That's that's really the point of this. Uh, and personal consumption expenditures, and this is another one that also shows that stat a little bit. It's uh, increased. 2.9 billion, which is less than 0.1 percent. There's this weird system that we have in America, and I think it, I think it's derived from. I don't, I'm not a genius economist, but I think it's mostly derived from Keynesian economics, where we measure things by the GDP, the gross domestic product, and the GDP kind of just gauges spending in the country. It doesn't actually gauge. Uh, in particular, what our country is worth or what people are saving. We live in a system right now where the government continues to print money. They want you to spend more money. That's why they lowered the interest rates. 
That's why all these big banks continue to take out interest because they have the collateral to do so, continue to take out loans with a very low interest rate and just pump it back into the economy to try to make their money back and, and beat the rate of inflation, which, yeah, they may do it because they have that collateral to do so. They have these professional advisors. But if you're middle class, you're working class, you're lower class, you're getting screwed on this deal every single time. Just know when they send you that check for $1,600, it's not going to be worth it in the future. You're getting hit with this in the future. You're going to be paying more for consumer. Uh, there's going to be a consumer price inflation, which has actually already taken place, which kind of brings me to my next article. Uh, I have an Epic Times piece written by Tom Ozzie Mech. A hat tip to him. And it says, consumer prices, excluding the volatile food and energy components, soared well beyond the Federal Reserve's 2% target in the year uh, to May, reaching levels not seen in nearly 30 years and reinforcing inflation concerns. The so-called core personal consumption expenditures price index, which excludes, so this, this is a price index, and it excludes uh, food and energy. And this is the Fed's preferred method for gouging inflation uh, it rose 3.4% in the 12 months to May, so in a year it's, it's risen 3.4%, after rising 3.1% in the year to April. So we're seeing a, a steady increase of inflation rates, uh, and this is the Commerce Department confirming this. Uh, the last time the core personal consumption expenditures inflation gouge gauge saw a similar year-over-year -year vault was in April 1992. So we're looking at almost 30 years since we've seen these kind of numbers. The Fed looks to core uh, PCE as the key inflation gauge that informs its monetary policy, which has an inflation target of a longer run average of 2%. <clears throat> Fed officials have repeatedly said they believe the current bout of spiking prices is transitory as they continue to tolerate inflation running hot in the shorter term, arguing that a premature withdrawal of crisis support measures near zero interest rates and around $120 billion in monthly bond buys would risk derailing the economic recovery. So it seems like they're just going to continue to uh, keep these rates very low because they think that will crash the entire economy as soon as they decide to raise the interest rates to kind of try to soak up the inflation. And we're just going to, I guess, uh, print ourselves into an abyss. That's what it really looks like. I just don't know how exactly we're going to come back from this. We might see another kind of housing bubble kind of deal like we saw in 2008. Or 2009 might be the same deal. They might have to bail out some banks. The banks are looking good right now because they're just printing money like crazy and they're reinvesting it. And you and they're really just propping up the banks. They're propping up the big businesses and taking the money out of your bank account by printing more. So this is a serious problem, obviously. We have some bad inflation. I mean, you'll notice it when you go out to eat, when you go to buy products. You notice gas prices is another thing. But, I mean, gas prices are a little bit, uh, they're based on a lot of different uh, factors. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It definitely does not look good uh, financially for the country right now. I, the stock market looks good in numbers. I think they're extraordinarily inflated right now. But that's just me personally. We'll see, I guess. And, and I think this is actually not going to hit us this year. This may not even hit us next year. But 2023, I bet if I had to guess, 
and I'm going to make a assumption on my show, and we can, you know, we could uh, cut this clip in the future. If I had to guess, in 2022, at the very end of the year, I think everything will collapse then. Because that'll be the, oh, 2023, they said they're going to raise the interest rates. We're going to be screwed that year. It's going to be kind of at the end of 2022 going into 2023. Everyone's going to, I'd say maybe September or or uh, October kind of deal from, from December. Uh, I could see a collapse then just because people are going to prepare. They're going to pull their money out of the market because they're going to be prepared for these higher interest rates and a collapse of whatever it is that they're invested in. But that's just my own guess. We'll see what ends up happening. End of 2022. That's the call. So Binance. Uh, banned in Great Britain. This is a CNBC article. It's written by Ryan Brown. Binance is a exchange for cryptocurrencies. Uh, they they've been banned from operating in the UK by the country's market, the country's markets regulator, in the latest sign of a growing crackdown on the crypto uh, market around the world. Britain's financial conduct authority said Saturday that Binance markets. Limited, the UK division of Binance, is not permitted to undertake any regulated activity in the UK. Now, from June 30th, the company, which already offers Brits, as in British citizens, crypto trading through its website, must add a notice in a prominent place in its website and apps showing UK users the following text. And this is, this is the disclaimer that they're going to have. Binance Markets Limited is not permitted to undertake any regulated activity in the UK. Due to the imposition of requirements by the FCA, Binance Markets Limited is not currently permitted to undertake any regulated activities without the prior written consent of the FCA, which is their... Uh, their regulators. No other entity in the Binance Group holds any form of UK authorization, registration, or license to conduct uh, regulated activity in the UK. So really, I'll tell you what this means. These, this regulated activity, they're talking about contracts. They're not talking about specific buying and selling cryptocurrencies. I think the governments actually around the world, I think they're kind of getting, actually, they're getting worried about Bitcoin. They're getting worried about stable coins as well. I saw an article, uh, they're talking about stable coins, uh, if they should be worried of them. They're definitely worried about Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the biggest threat to their power structure that they have in the printing of, of dollars. You have a finite resource, you have a secure resource, you have a resource that's decentralized and cannot be influenced by governments. Governments can't print more of it. There's a finite source of it. And there is a security to it as well. It really puts the banks out of business, essentially. You hold your own wallet yourself, uh, everything is stored on the blockchain, they call it, on the internet through nodes, these node services that confirm or deny uh, transactions, which they call it a proof of work network. And it does, it puts the banks, it is it is a existential threat to the centralized banking system, which is why they probably go forward with it. It's, it's weird when the government tells people with your own money that you don't have the financial freedom to invest in what you want. If, if you think Bitcoin or you think Ethereum or you think any of these cryptocurrencies, if you think they're such a bad idea to invest in, why wouldn't you just like, it's your, as the, um, as the government, it's your responsibility to make sure your people don't make bad decisions in terms of what they invest their money in. I just think it's very, uh, it's definitely an overbearing of the power. And I think part of the reason is too, is 
the government feels some sort of inclination to help people out as well when they're having a hard time or having their welfare and all these other things. So then they also find that it's their responsibility to stop people from uh, investing money. It's, it's their same responsibility because then the government has an inclination to pay them when they lose all their money. And that's really the problem is, is we've let the government kind of seep in far too much. I mean, in America as well as obviously Great Britain, uh, they, had, they had like a protest the other day uh, for the COVID lockdowns because apparently they're starting up their lockdowns once again. It was a crazy protest. I didn't see it anywhere on the corporate media news because they don't want you to know that there's these globalist overbearing governments that are restricting the rights of their citizens because maybe they might be trying to start that all up again in America with this new Delta variant of COVID-19. I mean, it's all just a, it's all a, a push for control and a push for power. And this last year and a half has been the test on how far is it that you can push Americans to give up their rights to government. Uh, and we're, we're going to see that test play out here in the future. I really have a good feeling of that. So judge dismisses uh, Facebook antitrust cases. CNBC, once again, Salvador Rodriguez is the writer. This is interesting. So what we had was Facebook, an antitrust case. The uh, Federal Trade Commission was going after them. It was dismissed on Monday. Uh, it was a complaint against Facebook as well as a parallel case brought by 48 state attorneys general dealing a major setback to the agency's complaint which could have resulted in Facebook divesting Instagram and WhatsApp. People are saying they're kind of a monopoly system because they, they have uh, Instagram, they have WhatsApp, they have a social media, if you will, uh, monopoly is, is what the claim is by the FTC. Now, the FTC sued the company last December alongside attorneys general from 48 states, arguing that Facebook engaged in systematic strategy to eliminate threats to its monopoly, including the 2012 and 2014 acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp, respectively, which the FTC previously cleared. And that's really where the FTC runs at the problems. However, the court ruled Monday that the FTC failed to prove its main contention, and the cornerstone of the case that Facebook holds monopoly power in the U.S. Uh, personal social networking market. And that's really what their problem is. They couldn't have approved of these acquisitions and then go back and now they say they have a monopoly. I actually don't think that Facebook specifically has a monopoly in the social media space. There's MeWe. I mean, there's a couple other ones. There's a couple competitors. Now, what I would be more concerned about... It's how Facebook just kicks people off the platform, just kind of like Twitter does, or or how they put these disclaimers, or they block content, they take content down. Uh, I would be much more concerned with that than I would be concerned with anything else, because there is a, a set of uh, a liability protections that they had, and that's taxpayer liability protections. Therefore, why is it that they're shutting down taxpayers to talk on their platforms? That, to me, is much more concerning at this time than the idea of them having a monopoly by having WhatsApp and Instagram. I thought that that's a pretty weak case that they attempted to make in this one, in my opinion. So the court completely dismissed the parallel case from the state attorneys general, saying that the long delay between the acquisitions and the 2020 case filing was unprecedented on a state level and that states' arguments about Facebook preventing interoperability with competing apps fails to state a claim under current antitrust law as there is nothing unlawful about having such a policy. End quote. So yeah, I mean, there was... There were competing apps such as Parler and uh, those of that nature. 
But that that would much more be a claim to take up with AWS, Amazon Web Services, if you're going to go for Parler. I just thought this was a weak case. They didn't have much much foundation on it. They should have probably lumped in some other categories if you're going to go for antitrust with Facebook. And this is this is coming from a guy that I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of any of these big tech organizations. So I got these uh, quick headlines to try to try to wrap the show up here. Trump he has joined Rumble, post-millennial piece. Yeah, Trump's back, and now he is on, they took him off YouTube, they kicked him off pretty much everything, so now he's on Rumble, he'll be there. I guess you can find statements from him. He, he hasn't yet come out with anything, any videos on Rumble yet, I don't think so. So, there was this collapse of a building in Florida, Epic Times piece. I was reading some information about, uh, I think Jack Posobiec came out and said it, and he said, I'm getting information about the builders of this of this building in Florida, if you saw it, it was a straight line collapse. Apparently, it was sinking into the ground every year, two millimeters. There, there's. He said that whoever built it may be going to prison. So there must be some sort of uh, fault of the builders, and they probably didn't follow uh, some some sort of regular policy or, or zoning restrictions or rules that they're supposed to when making this building i just thought that was a interesting case uh, a lot of people died a lot of people missing it's definitely not good uh, situation there in florida uh, new york drops and and specifically the manhattan attorney general dropped their suit against donald trump that's another one that's kind of flown under the radar really haven't heard much about it which is a good thing because because i was just watching cnn over the weekend and they were saying they're preparing to file the charges right now we're getting special reports saying so and then then this report i mean then this article comes out today saying that they're going to drop all the charges on trump pretty much they want to go after trump for taxes and stuff like that and they they probably know that it's a futile pursuit trump's got lawyers uh you know on retainer it doesn't even matter at this point for him it's all about punishment of uh of trump because he went against the establishment really uh, anti-lockdown protests once again i mentioned that in london well everything that i refer to by the way folks i always say this every show will be in the description below under the tab show notes so you can refer to it if you're talking to somebody about it uh about politics in this show i have a lot of info i mean it's been a lot of information so it was kind of hard to pick and choose which ones to put on the main show and then which ones to kind of put in the extras uh, on the side so the Justice Department sues Georgia over voter integrity laws as a national review piece. And, and what they're claiming the Justice Department is it is uh, racist and is biased against specific groups by having these voter integrity laws. I don't think they're going to be able to find that in Georgia. I don't think they have any case. We'll see what happens in court. Uh, if anything, they actually open up the voter rolls for more people, longer time periods. They just change the validation uh, procedures as in they're acquiring I, photo id i mean that's that's really as far as they went other than that they they secured it they made it much more secure and safe while also opening up the polls for more different times and longer periods so more people actually have the accessibility to vote they just have to validate who they are simply so Federal Reserve tells employees to avoid using terms like the Founding Fathers because it's like inflammatory. I mean, that is a stupid story, but Fox News piece, I don't really understand it. doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, another, another story, Nike is a brand that is of China for China. The CEO of Nike came out recently said that. They have all their manufacturing facilities for the most part in China. I think some of them might be in Taiwan. 
So they came out, they kissed, they kissed the ring of China because they did a cost analysis and they realized that if they come out and kiss the ring of China, there's no repercussions for that because in America there really haven't been much repercussions for doing so. So they realized if they, if they, uh, you know, genuflect to the regime in China, then they'll still be able to make money. Maybe they'll even make more money and the Chinese dictator over there will treat them even better than before and they will be in good standings in good standing with him so another one uh joe biden is going to be sending jill his wife to the olympics in japan i don't really understand why and he's good she's going to be meeting with holding these diplomatic meetings with some of these world leaders i just think this is so weird uh i've never heard of this before uh maybe because joe biden is so compromised he doesn't he's not actually equipped to have conversation right now but i don't know i've never seen anything like that before so to end i wanted to show you have this hammer thrower gwen Berry's her name this is the big story the big uh cultural news she turned her back on on the flag during the national anthem uh she got she earned bronze i think it was like some sort of weird u.s olympics type thing uh, she turned her back during the national anthem and they asked Jen Psaki, Peter Ducey asks her uh, what she thinks about doing so. Play clip eight. This weekend, Gwen Barry, who hopes to represent the United States as an Olympian on the hammer throwing uh, events, won a bronze medal at the trials, and then she turned her back on the flag while the anthem played. Does President Biden think that is appropriate behavior for someone who hopes to represent Team USA? Well, uh, Peter, I, I haven't spoken to the president specifically about this, but I know he's incredibly proud to be an American uh, and has great respect for the anthem and all that it represents, especially for our men and women serving in uniform all around the world. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. The problem here lies in her confounding of the principle of uh, the right to have to expression, okay? If you are a U.S. citizen, no one is forcing you to, to kneel upon the uh, flag or back down to the flag, do any of that, right? Uh, but if you're competing... In the United States, as a U.S. representative, a representative of the U.S., and you don't respect our flag, you don't respect our country, you, you're not, you're anti-American in principle, uh, then you don't need to be on the team. I mean, it's, it's that simple. We don't need to choose you. Uh, the expenditures of you going in the Olympics, going to those areas, that is that is paid by us the taxpayer this is like kind of the the same scenario as if you told a bunch of uh military a bunch of soldiers or a bunch of uh, marines that they don't need to stand up for the anthem they don't need to put their hand over their heart which which i don't i've never heard of that being a policy like oh well that's freedom of expression they can do that then why are they serving the united states military then we don't need people like that we don't need you there's no right in the constitution to serve in the united states military there's also no right in the constitution that says that you're allowed to be on the u.s olympic team uh while disrespecting the country i mean the freedom of expression gets to a point in your it's in your private life it's it's used so 
you cannot be jailed for that freedom of expression by the government. But then at the same time, the United States, we fund you. We are You are funded by us. And this is not what you're doing in your private life no longer. This is what you're doing in your professional working life. And who pays you to do your job? And who pays, not only oh, who pays for you to do your job, but who pays for you to be in that Olympics, be in that position, pays for your uniform, pays for all of that is the U.S. taxpayer. It's the United States of America. So we're kind of muddying the waters here from her perspective, what a freedom of expression necessarily means. Uh, freedom of speech, freedom of press, all of those things, those block you from the government uh, from imprisoning you. It, do, it doesn't guarantee that you can do it in your professional job in which you represent the United States. I just, from her perspective, more than anything, I mean, you could fight about this debate back and forth. Uh, what, what Her perspective, if she really doesn't like it, then why would she even compete in the Olympics? If she has so many problems with the flag, she has so many problems with some of our principles in America, some of our culture, cultural themes in America. If you have a problem with all of those things, then why the heck would you even compete and want to represent a country that you see as oppressive or terrible or all these all these other uh, connotations? Then why would you even? What's the point? Why would you even want to represent us? Why would you compete? I think that this this is just always. Um, acts for more and more attention. I think it's for clout. I don't really actually believe these people believe in these. They they think they do, but once explained to them, they do not believe in these things. This is just strictly for the money. She probably thinks by doing this, because she wasn't gold, she was bronze. She probably thinks by doing this, she can get an endorsement deal with Nike, who we just saw bow down to the Democrat Party. And this is, I'm, I'm saying this right now, this is hilarious, because this is, this will be what will happen. I'm like the Babylon Bee over here, just throwing it out there. She'll probably be endorsed by a pretty big company. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Nike in the future. So, uh, yeah, that'll conclude this one. I greatly appreciate you tuning in, as always. We're going to have another Federalist paper on Friday, then we'll have the weekend special on Saturday. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be doing with these Federalist papers in the near future when I go on vacation, but I will still. I just want to uh, let you all know. I, I want you all to be at ease because I know how much you love listening to the show that I will be doing the the current events no matter what. I just don't know what the Federalist papers I know Federalist Papers are kind of a specialized audience. Only some people really listen to them. Uh, you know, it's a little bit more... It's like quali a lot of qualitative information. I, I read through the articles. I explain them. And I expound upon them. So, yeah, it's a special type of audience. I, I appreciate everyone that listens ever, even if you're a hater. I appreciate you listening anyway. Yeah, so... I will uh, talk to you guys all later. I greatly appreciate you all tuning in, and I will see you next time. Thank you. Extra.